Hello, and welcome to the weekly market podcast by BNP Paribas Asset Management. I'm Daniel Morris, Senior Investment Strategist. And this week, I have the pleasure of being joined by Anu Rames, who is the Tech and Healthcare Sector Analyst for BNP's Sustainability Center. And I'm going to be speaking this week with Anu about digital inequality, which is certainly a topic that has become much more relevant to people uh, as we work our way through the coronavirus pandemic. But before we get to that topic, a quick recap on what's been happening in the markets. And I'd say the most important economic data that we've had recently uh, have been the PMIs, the preliminary PMIs, purchasing manager indices that were released for the U.S. and the U.K. And frankly, they paint a mixed picture, uh, but one that actually aligns with what we've been seeing in terms of the development of the pandemic and the response of governments. The data that we got generally showed an upswing and broadly better than expected data for the U.S. and the U.K., uh, particularly in the services sector, which has been the most affected by the lockdowns. In contrast to the U.S. and the U.K., however, we saw in France and in Germany uh, a downturn from the data in July. So a, a divergence seems to be opening up, at least for the time being, between the U.S. and continental Europe, perhaps. And the reason I say that aligns a bit with what we're seeing on the pandemic front Fortunately, in the U.S., things do seem to be continuing to improve, infection rates going down. And I think notably, uh, investor attention, public attention is probably turning a bit away from the pandemic and towards the U.S. election. Uh, in contrast, in continental Europe, where infection rates are rising, you're actually seeing a reimposition, now slight at this point, but modest reimposition of restrictions. And that may be what explains the downturn or the weakness that we've seen uh, in the services sector. It's important to state that we did still see an expansion according to the PMIs, but just not quite at the pace that we had in the previous month. Uh, otherwise, retail sales data continues to show a recovery. Uh, however, we also note that there's a quite uh, notable divergence again, but here between uh, online retailers, of course, we all think of Amazon, uh, and bricks and mortar retailers or shops on the high street. And you can think about if this divergence persists, if there really is a more permanent change in consumer behavior towards purchasing online, uh, less willingness to go into shops, what the implications of that are going to be for uh, employment, all the people that work in the retail sector. We think about the implications for municipalities and revenues that they get from, from sales on their high streets and downtowns. So we may see uh, longer term implications because of the pandemic uh, in this part of the economy, in addition to what we know or anticipate is going to take place because of people more likely than not continuing to work from home. So that's uh, our update on the markets. Uh, now let's turn to our guest speaker. Again, uh, we're going to be speaking about digital inequality. So my first question is actually going to be uh, perhaps an easy one, but Anu, uh, for our listeners, can you explain exactly what digital inequality is and why it's relevant in the time of the pandemic? Hey, Dan, really nice to be speaking with you. So digital inequality or the digital gap is in a way a nebulous concept as it's not just about having access to technology that matters, but it's about the ultimate impact on the economy and society. In the most basic sense, this gap can broadly be defined as having two main components, 
First is having access to the digital economy for which you need connectivity. And the second part is having the necessary skills to benefit from this access. Now, this divide between the haves and the have-nots, which is based on layers of socioeconomic, gender, regional, and racial inequalities, it's a critical global issue. And the United Nations has designated access to the Internet and ICT, which stands for Information and Communications Technology, as one of the targets for the Sustainable Development Goals. So from a global perspective, the digital divide can be viewed through the lens of disparity between nations in its contribution to GDP. In fact, in a prior weekly podcast, fintech in emerging markets was discussed on how the growth of smartphone penetration enables that initial access to financial services, which ultimately impacts the local economy. Now, the contribution of the digital economy to GDP of low-income countries is vastly lower than that of developed nations. There's a lot of low-hanging fruit from financial inclusion, healthcare access, and education, which can benefit quite a bit from digitizing an economy. Then, from a value capture standpoint, we know that the economies of scale have massively favored the major digital platform companies. The most successful platform companies are in the U.S. and China. This, in a way, is the outcome of national and regional level policies in the two countries. And if we are to shift our focus to the digital divide domestically, the COVID-19 pandemic really was a tipping point. As I think back to the beginning of the year, when 2020 started out, it was a world of extremes. On one side, we had an abundance of liquidity and record levels of cash on the sidelines in the financial markets. And on the other hand, we saw peak income inequality, unsustainable growth in healthcare costs, and so forth. And we all know what happened once the pandemic hit. The pandemic significantly accelerated trends in place in education, healthcare, e-commerce, and so on. Remote work became the norm for those who could do it. And what this did from a domestic standpoint was to highlight the digital divide between families and communities and the corresponding inequalities that come to play. Now, the importance of digital access and skills development were quite well known before the pandemic, but it's taken center stage now. As an example, in the United States on the access side, as per the FCC, More than 21 million Americans don't have access to a broadband connection with acceptable download speeds. And an acceptable download speed is roughly around 25 megabits per second. Now, there are other estimates out there suggesting that this number is as high as 42 million. Do keep in mind that the number considers the physical access gap. If we add to this the lack of access due to affordability, this number goes up further. And We can easily see why this would be an issue when looking at the Pew Research Center data, which shows that 15% of households with school-age children don't have a high-speed connection at home. So when basic services like education move online overnight, the most impacted are often low-income students and students of color. The issue with the digital divide or gap is that the impact will be over the medium to long run. And so it will take a backseat at times to here and now type of issues like food insecurity and unemployment. But when it starts to impact access to basic services such as education and subsequently employment, it becomes much more of a structural gap that would be hard to close if we don't pay attention now. Without access, 
whole sections of the society can get left further behind. Now, turning to the next part of the digital divide, which is the skills gap, this refers to the lack of digital skills in the existing workforce or workers not trained for skills needed in the future. In fact, more than 80% of current middle skill jobs in the U.S. Now, these are the jobs that require less than a bachelor's degree. Such jobs require digital skills. Um, we have seen corporates take an active role in programs to close the skills gap. A good example is the certification programs offered by large tech companies in analytics, program management, and so on. These certifications often can be used in the place of a four-year college degree when applying for jobs. So to bottom line it, over the medium to long term, we do expect the penetration of digital methodologies to increase significantly in key areas like education and healthcare. And as we build back to a post-pandemic world, we need to ensure that we build into a more resilient world. Closing the digital gap from an access and skills perspective will lead to better equity across communities in the long run. Thanks very much, Anu. That that's fascinating, and I think for a lot of our listeners, uh, really new information. Probably few of us have really thought about the implications from a digital perspective of the pandemic. Uh, what we see from a policy perspective is that digital access is a key agenda for a lot of countries, and as you mentioned, the end goal really is the impact to society and on society, and that's understandably a little bit hard to measure. What are your thoughts on the role of the public and private sectors in closing the gap and what is currently being done? Yes, I agree in that closing the digital gap is a priority in several countries. And there also is great divergence across countries when it comes to broadband access. Um, in addition to closing the gap, having a cohesive framework is needed to ensure that the digital economy benefits all sections of the global society. The United Nations recently released a really good report called The Age of Digital Interdependence, which lays out recommendations for global collaboration to ensure an inclusive global digital economy and society. So speaking of government and public funding, if we were to focus on the here and now, when the pandemic started in the U.S., the Federal Communications Commission, or the FCC, called on broadband service providers to take a pledge and ensure that those impacted by the pandemic don't lose their broadband or telephone access. Almost 200 companies agreed not to cut off service for non-payment. Now, on the funding side so far, at the federal level, the CARES Act allocated a few hundred million dollars as loans and grants to expand broadband for essential services. Separately, many states and municipalities have targeted local plans as well. We do see similar programs in nations across the world. On the private funding side, we have investment options across all asset classes when it comes to digital infrastructure. There is a wide array of opportunities from mature models like data centers and telecom towers, where the economics are fairly well known, to more complex projects involving broadband build-out and financing the last mile. Now, depending on the risk-reward requirements of the investor, opportunities are available across the capital stack, from equities to debt, both on the private and public side. 
You talked about the involvement of the private sector, and one aspect that seems to be getting a lot more interest are social bonds. Uh, perhaps you could explain for our listeners who maybe aren't as aware what exactly are social bonds, uh, and then is it an instrument that can provide funding to close the digital gap? Absolutely. So by now, mostly everyone knows what green bonds are, where the proceeds are used to finance eligible environmental projects. In the case of social bonds, the proceeds are earmarked for projects or assets that generate a positive social outcome. So to give an example, in 2019, a communication service provider with a very large emerging market footprint issued a social bond. The proceeds could be used for CapEx needs such as network rollout and spectrum acquisition. The logic here is that the expansion of the network infrastructure, especially in underserved communities, improves access to digitization. The proceeds also could be used for projects like training women and children in digital technologies and so on. So when the company issued the bond, there was guidance on impact metrics that the firm would report out on, which were KPIs, such as the number of homes passed, homes connected, number of women trained on online skills, financial training, and so forth. So here, the issuer gave insight into what the proceeds could be used for and on impact KPIs that would be reported out on. Reporting on KPIs is key to ensure that additional positive social outcomes are indeed achieved. This debt obligation is backed by the entire balance sheet of the issuer, so it is credit equivalent to a normal bond. Now, the market still is in the early stages of growth. If we look at the overall green, social, and sustainable bond market, first half issuance was up 4% year-over-year at about $154 billion. However, in the category of social bonds, issuance grew to $40 billion in the first half. This was a year-on-year growth of 364%. So the growth rates are really high in the social category. Most recently, one of the largest internet companies issued a sustainability bond of $5.75 billion, which was by far the largest issuance of its kind. This was more than 3x oversubscribed, showing strong demand. So the market definitely is growing. I'd also say that the COVID-19 crisis has highlighted a greater awareness of social considerations in investment decision-making. BNP Paribas Asset Management sponsored a study by Greenwich Associates, which showed that social factors have become more of a focus for investors. And 70% of those surveyed said that social considerations, which is the S of ESG, will become very important or extremely important as we move forward. So as we all realize, the COVID-19 pandemic has caused a global socioeconomic crisis. And if we are to rebuild into a more resilient society, key issues like the digital divide need to be addressed. And there definitely is a role for us as investors in this effort. That's great, Anu. Thanks very much for that. If I can summarize what you shared with us, uh, we've learned, I think, that digital inequality or the digital gap is about having access to the digital economy for which you need connectivity. Uh, but it's also about having the necessary skills to be able to benefit from that access. If we think about the role of the public and private sectors in helping to close the gap, 
On the public sector side, that focuses on simply infrastructure development, providing funding uh, for access, or particularly during the pandemic, uh, providing funding so that people don't lose connectivity uh, or are cut off from access to the internet. Uh, on the private sector side, where of course the focus is often on generating an investment return via equities or private debt, uh, clearly there has been and will continue to be a significant amount of investment. But a new innovation that we're seeing uh, more and more of are what we call social bonds, where the focus is not only on the financial return, but also on the impact that it has on society and generating, hopefully, a positive social outcome. Well, that's all the time we have this week. Uh, thank you again, Anu, for joining me. If you have any further questions, please do not hesitate to reach out to your BNP Paribas Asset Management contact. And otherwise, we wish you a lovely end of August and take care. This podcast presentation includes a discussion on current market events and is not intended as investment advice or an offer of products or services by BNP Paribas Asset Management. Please keep in mind that the information and analysis in this presentation is only current as of the publication date.